The QMC Board and Collar Series presents Excuse My Medic, the podcast version of an MCI with Chuck Humphrey and Gary Harvat. Excuse My Medic takes a unique look at today's emergency medical service news and information with hot topics, great guests, and maybe even a few offbeat stories along the way. Get ready for opinionated discussions, lively talk, sporadic jabs, and even a few belly laughs from our world of EMS. Excuse My Medic is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting for air and ground emergency medical services. Now, hang on to the bench seat and secure your cervical collar as these gray-haired guys from EMS Past take you on a Code 3 ride with no real destination in mind. You've had the disclaimer, and if you're still brave enough to stick it out, let's get started. Take it away, guys. Good day, everyone. My name is Gary Harvat from the client services team at QuickMed Claims here in Pittsburgh. And I'm Chuck Humphrey, business development team, and I'm in beautiful Danville, Pennsylvania. Hey, great. Welcome, everybody. We have a special edition coming at you today, and I think it's going to be very interesting to hear. We're fortunate we've got our first guest speaker. How about that, Chuck? We actually have a guest. Yes, and, and somebody other than you or me boring everyone. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, this is this is great. I'm I'm truly excited about this. So uh, joining us today is is Jesse Seifert. Jesse is the Chief Executive Officer of eServices Technology, and he's going to talk about why plastic makes it possible, especially how the use of credit cards has come into play in a very much a very prevalent position uh, in our industry. You know, there's a lot of, uh, Chuck, you know this, there's a lot of the new uh, Affordable Care Act. We have rising deductibles and co-pays, and we've seen here at QuickMed um, an increased use of credit cards over the past few years. Yeah, you know, I've got 20 years in this business. When I first started, you know, <laughs> it was all checks and uh, it's amazing that I've watched over my career how much this has turned into an electronic payment situation, even even from the uh, insurance payers, you know, direct to our accounts. And so we are very much in the digital age. So this is a timely, timely subject. Really glad that uh, Jeff, Jesse's going to be here uh, to join us because this is really something that um, I think still there may be people out there that don't realize just what an advantage it is. Well, I just know, uh, like my purse from a personal standpoint, this has really changed um, a lot. I, my wife and I, for many many years, did not use credit cards, and I respect those folks who don't. Um, fortunately, we we pay ours off every month. But you know, I come to work every day with limited dollars in my pocket. I'm not the guy you want to rob on the street. Trust me. Um, but um, we use our credit card for everything, and you know, it's 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 been a good thing for us, and um, it's pretty much the way the the industry is going. It's almost like I I stood in line at the grocery store the other day, and I had about three or four people in front of me. It was a busy day at checkout, and everybody used credit cards. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they were debits or credits, but they were using cards. Well, sure. You know, my supermarket just converted over three fourths of their lanes to self checkout. Um, so you have to use it. There's no one to take any cash. Yeah, it's really great. So, well, Jesse's waiting in the wings here for us, and uh, we're going to turn the program over to uh, Jesse once again. Jesse, as I mentioned, is the Chief Executive Officer for eServices Technology. Now, one thing that's great about Jesse is Jesse is one of us. 
Uh, Jesse has a long and storied career in emergency medical services and only recently moved from EMS uh, to move into this position uh, full-time with eServices Technology. And so we're happy to have Jesse here today and we know that you'll find this uh, information he provides quite interesting. I know I already have a bunch of questions for him. So without any further ado, Chuck, I will let Jesse go. If you have anything you want to add, feel free to, but otherwise we'll turn it over to the good man. Nope, turn it over. Jesse, take her away. Yeah, my pleasure, Gary. Thank you for having me and uh, really looking forward today to uh, talking through some of this. So uh, as Gary mentioned, um, you know, today's presentation is Plastic Makes It Possible. And we've been having this conversation of um, the e-commerce boom and how that has um, now made its way to uh, medical billing and EMS and aeromedical. So um, as we get started here today, we'll go into just a little bit of history about credit cards and e-commerce and, and how this whole uh, thing that, that we know today has, has come to be. So um, the uh, original credit card was invented in the 1950s. And I'm sure many remember the days of the old uh, credit card slider that, uh, you know, they would take your credit card and imprint it on the carbon copy and slide that thing across and, uh, you, you know, take the ticket and you would be good to go. And the, the first credit card that was uh, invented, if you want to call it that, was actually the Diners Club. And the idea was that uh, an individual could use that card similar to a um, country club membership and they could go to restaurants and eat and not have to worry about paying the bill until the end of the month. The interesting thing was that in that time, the diners club had a policy that it had to be paid off by the end of the month. So, uh, you know, the whole credit card debt thing, um, wasn't even a, a reality at that point. And beyond that, uh, you know, visa came next and came out with a new product that allowed balances to be carried beyond the 30 days. And it wasn't until actually the 70s and 80s that MasterCard and Discover began to have a uh, significant presence. So around this same time as Vista and MasterCard, you know, coming online, uh, we had the internet that, that went public and uh, certainly changed the landscape of e-commerce and purchasing for everyone. And uh, in 1991, the internet uh, was made public officially but it was still really something that was used primarily in the business space. Uh, there, the first year, there were only a couple million users and the consumer space didn't take off until 1994 when, uh, as many of you may remember, every uh, resident in the United States received the lovely America Online AOL CD-ROM that would allow you to put that little CD into your computer and connect to the interwebs and uh, give you access to anything you could possibly need on the internet. And, um, you know, they were selling their, their services and on-ramp uh, in order to get online. And by the end of 1994, uh, because of AOL, there were about 16 million users uh, on the internet. And then in 1995, a small online bookstore by the name of Amazon began selling books online. And as we know, uh, Amazon really ignited the e-commerce boom and has grown into, um, you know, the, the largest uh, commerce retailer um, in the world. And uh, by 2005, there were over 1 billion users on the internet. So uh, I just want to start with a little bit of, you know, history of the internet and e-commerce and how this whole thing has really come to be. 
uh, as we, we go through this conversation. So as Gary mentioned, you know, feel free to interject at any point with questions um, through the different ways that you can do that. We want this to be conversational and, and, and as interactive as we possibly can. So the dramatic increase in users, um, you know, brought along with it some interesting challenges. And this was something that Amazon dealt with very early on um, in regards to uh, data fraud and loss of data um, and different types of security issues. So in 2004, the large uh, card companies, the Visa, MasterCard, Discover, got together and put together what they called the Payment Card Industry Council. And uh, some of you may not have heard of that, but I'm sure many of you have heard of PCI compliance. And that's where that came from. Uh, they, they got together and they put together this council to really um, standardize the way that merchants were handling data and processing data and to make sure that moving forward, uh, they were able to limit the amount of loss that was due to security issues and fraud. And as part of that, um, the, the payment card industry developed the DSS or data security standards. And these standards are really a, a collection of best practices and, and compliance standards um, for merchants to follow to make sure that um, they're using the best security uh, that they can and maintaining the integrity of an individual's uh, credit card information. And as we know, you know, there's been stories over the years of big box locations, um, the Home Depots, the Targets, and others that have had issues with numbers being stolen. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later and, and talk about uh, why that occurred. So let's talk about some of the best practices um, as we get into this. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll use this scenario that someone calls in to make a payment on the phone. You're busy at your desk. You're not logged into, you know, maybe your computer or you're not near the credit card machine if you have that type of situation. And you go ahead and you just write the credit card number down on a piece of paper and you're going to run that, that payment later. That is not a best practice. Uh, you know, whenever you're running a uh, credit card number, the best practice is to put it directly into the virtual terminal online or to put the number directly into the card machine if that card is not present. And, uh, you know, that's one of the easiest ways to become compliant is just to change your practices. And, um, you know, that's something that is, is we've gone through this process, we, we found is a really valuable educational tool that, uh, you know, credit card numbers shouldn't be written down, they shouldn't be saved in Excel spreadsheets, they shouldn't be put into computer systems, unless they're going directly into the payment gateway. Then of course, if payments are being made online on a website, we want to make sure that the payments are secure. Uh, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to uh, look in the top left-hand corner uh, where you would see the address bar and the www. And to the left of that, you'll often see an HTTP. If you're on a secure website, it will say HTTPS. And on some browsers, will actually so show a sec security certificate in that top left-hand corner as well. And if you use that, then you know that you're actually on a secure page. So um, those are just a couple of the best practices that we talk about whenever we uh, you know, begin the conversation on, uh, on, on achieving the, the data security standards. Jess, I did have a question if you can uh, stop for a moment, if that's okay. Sure. Um, one of our viewers has asked, um, how would an ambulance service know, in fact, if they are PCI compliant? Sure, that's a great question. So um, there are really two, uh, 
two or three different ways that you can make sure that you're safe within a website uh, and PCI compliance follow, follows that. So if we go to the next slide here, um, we'll jump ahead a little bit and I'll, I'll show you there's, there's four different levels of PCI compliance. A level four compliance would be a merchant that is processing less than 20,000 transactions per year, which would probably cover anyone that is, that is listening in today. Uh, the level three and level two get into a significant number of transactions. So in order to be compliant with level four, uh, you simply complete an annual risk assessment uh, using a self-assessment questionnaire and conduct a quarterly PCI scan. And that's usually provided by uh, the company that you're using to do your credit card processing. The self-assessment questionnaire is very simple. It can be found online if you just search PCI SAQ. And it's something that you can go through and, and it talks about those best practices that uh, I touched on a little bit, uh, such as you know, are you recording any credit card information outside of scope? Uh, are you doing anything with card data that would retain it um, in its original form? And, and it just takes you through a process to make you think of how you handle credit card information and um, identify any areas that, that might be uh, an area of weakness. Um, Jeff, it, yeah, good. Oh, I'm sorry. One question from our listener. looks like this one came from New York. Um, how, who polices PCI? In other words, it's one thing, I guess, and uh, um, this, the question was who polices PCI. So I'm, I'm guessing the listener is asking, um, you know, are there fines levied for those who don't follow? And then who's making sure that you are following things as you're supposed to? It's like I bounced off the screen here. Sorry That's all right. Take your time. Um, There you so go. The, uh, who enforces PCI? That's a great question. So the, um, the compliance is actually enforced by the card agencies themselves. So the individual brands of Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, uh, you know, the former Diners Club, uh, they all form the council together and it's the council that enforces the rules. So, um, you know, keep in mind that the, the PCI compliance originated with the, um, card processors themselves wanting to eliminate fraud, wanting to eliminate theft, uh, being concerned about data validation and things like that. So um, the, the council is very much after protecting their um, users of, of their cards to make sure that uh, the highest level of security is being used. So uh, the short answer to the question is it's, it's actually the card companies themselves that enforce it. Okay. Um, in follow up to that, where is the handoff uh, as far as the um, if there's something happens that their credit card is hacked? Is that if we ran their credit card through and subsequently, a short time after that, their credit card was hacked? This is my question. I'm formulating as I speak to you here. Um, is that become the person who did the swiping's responsibility or is that the processing company? Um, who who takes ownership of 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 when bad things happen, or maybe I'm not stating this clearly, but I think you get the general gist. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm following where you're headed. Um, so it really has to do with the, um, the, the, the compliance that you've followed up until that point. So if you've identified yourself as a level four, or level three processor, you've completed your annual uh, self-assessment questionnaire, you've done your quarterly PCI scans and you have that documentation, then the card companies are satisfied with that and they, they will you know say you, you've, followed the standards that we have established and um, you know the 
for lack of a better term, the, the person on the hook for, for those funds would be the card company itself. And, and they would, uh, you know, refund those to the appropriate person um, or, or whatever the situation would be. The other side of it, uh, in addition to the best practices, would be the levels of protection. Uh, we talked a little bit about a secure website, but the other things that ha have now become a standard um, are the encryption of card numbers and tokenization. And I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, the situations with Target, Home Depot, some of the other big box stores. And when those, uh, those situations occurred and there were large volumes of credit card numbers being stolen, the reason it happened was the, the way that they were transmitting those numbers internally and within their systems. Uh, whenever credit card numbers are processed, um, it's very important that they are encrypted at the time that they're entered into the system and that they're also tokenized if they're being used for recurring payments or scheduled payments. And, and those, of course, are um, you know, technology features that, that we offer both um, to make sure that we're reaching the highest level of security standard. Okay. That's it for questions for the moment. Okay. So um, moving on, I uh, just want to talk a little bit about the relationship between uh, credit cards and the e-commerce boom. Uh, so we talked earlier that the e-commerce boom was growing dramatically through the early 2000s. And uh, as this occurred, there was really a parallel growth in the number of consumers paying by credit or debit cards. And um, in 1995, there were approximately 300 billion credit card purchases made in the U.S. By 2005, there were over 600 billion. And as the e-commerce boom continues, uh, this year, uh, the, the card companies are currently projecting that there will be over $3 trillion um, spent in credit card purchases. So um, the, the two have very much grown in parallel as we've seen the online uh, opportunity of e-commerce and the usage of credit and debit cards. So of course the question is, how does that relate to insurance? How does that relate to medical bill billing? So during this e-commerce boom, we also experienced some pretty interesting changes in the healthcare space. Uh, the Affordable Care Act was signed in the law in 2010, and by 2014, we began to see marketplace plans and, and the prevalence of high deductible insurance plans. And, and as we know, in these scenarios, uh, many patients are forced to pay out of pocket, um, you know, pay for their, their high deductibles or utilize some type of HSA card in order to make those payments. So by 2015, the healthcare e-commerce boom really began to become realized. And more recently, many of the insurance companies have even begun to issue payments in the form of virtual credit cards instead of checks. And um, you know, I think for some, this is still a surprise because it's such a dramatic change from the way that things have been done for so many years. Um, you know, we, we, Historically, we've been used to insurance companies sending a check uh, for payment or issuing payment to a patient to then turn around and, and use a check. Um, or maybe wire transfers, um, but there's really been this move towards um, using credit cards for, for many different reasons, but the biggest would be for the insurance company, it's actually a lower cost for them to issue a virtual credit card. And if you're not familiar with a virtual credit card, it essentially is the imprint of a preloaded credit card on um, a piece of paper that's sent by the insurance company. So in the top right-hand corner of the paper, there would be a, an image of a credit card with a number on it, and that, that card is issued specifically for an agency or for a patient. And once it's used for the total amount of the bill, uh, it's no longer valid. 
And it, it's cheaper for an insurance company to do that than for them to uh, issue a check and to go through that process. It's also a lot faster. They're, they're able to print out virtual insurance cards on a paper much faster than they're able to produce checks and have those put into the mail. And the third uh, reason would be, of course, um, the simplification of, of batch payments, uh, of being able to take multiple patients within a plan or multiple patients within a certain insurer and have those all paid at one time through a virtual card uh, rather than going through um, the routes that they did historically. So it's, it's definitely been interesting to see um, you know, how the two have worked side by side with, with both the increase in, in online um, payments in healthcare and, and how that has uh, followed the same trend as um, the e-commerce boom. So, um, you know, I guess the, the takeaway would be, um, you know, if you're currently accepting payments online, great. Uh, make sure you're compliant. Uh, if not, uh, really consider the revenue opportunity. Uh, the e-commerce boom is, is definitely happening right now um, for the, the medical billing industry. And um, it, it's one of those things that um, you can certainly uh, take advantage of and, and see money uh, much sooner rather than later. Um, you know, we really believe that um, this is just the beginning and uh, we'll continue to see a, a dramatic growth in, in the healthcare um, the area of uh, e-commerce. Jess had a couple questions come in. Do you mind uh, if I pose them to you now? Sure, go for it. Great. Um, so um, this person registered as anonymous, so we'll keep it that way. Um, <laughs> we have a link on our ambulance services website to pay the bill online, but it's really not a bill pay. It's where we just collect info on a form and then we run it through our own machine after. Is this legal? So the answer is um, it's not compliant. Um, th there aren't laws that say, you know, uh, it's legal or, uh, or illegal, um, but it is certainly not PCI compliant. Uh, there, there is no way for a form or a web developer or anyone else to collect a um, credit card number in its entirety without using some type of merchant gateway. Uh, so it is really important that if you are accepting payments on a website, that you're not accepting them by form. Um, you know, one of the other ones that, that we run into quite a bit um, is conferences. Um, you know, historically, credit card payments uh, would be sent by mail. And uh, there are still many conferences that, that we go to where they'll, they'll give us the, uh, the PDF application to the conference and there'll be a section, you know, write your credit card number on this form and mail it back to us uh, or email it back to us, which is even worse. And, and that's just not a considered a compliant way of doing things. Um, the easiest way to think about it is if the credit card number is being transmitted or saved or retained in its entirety at any point, then it's not compliant. Uh, the only way to be compliant is to have that credit card number being placed directly into the terminal that's going to be processing the payment. And when I say terminal, that could mean a physical machine, or that could also mean a website that's been designed specifically for the purpose of transmitting that payment. Thank you. That's, uh, I felt that was going to be the answer when I saw the question, but I surely wanted to pose it to the expert. Uh, one more for you, Jess. Um, which do you feel is safer? We take both 
and this came from our friends in Arizona, uh, we take both debit and credit cards. Is there one that's safer from a patient's perspective to use or from a consumer's perspective, I guess, is what they're asking? Sure. No, it really just comes down to, to preference. Um, you know, the debit cards use the, the Visa or MasterCard networks. So even though they're tied to checking accounts, they're still running through the credit card networks. Um, so, uh, you know, many consumers prefer to use a card that um, isn't tied to their checking account so that if there is some type of fraud or, or hack situation, they're not having their entire checking account depleted. Um, but I think it really just comes down to uh, the individual preference uh, on what they like to use. Um, you know, the other thing that we've begun to see a lot of um, are the rewards cards. And, um, you know, many of the high deductible plans, individuals know that, you know, come the first of the year, they're responsible for the first $2,500 or the first $5,000. So, you know, they now have the air mile cards or the other reward cards uh, that they're able to use specifically for those medical bills uh, that also, you know, get them some kickback at the end of the year. Thank you. So uh, as we, you know, conclude here, um, you know, I just wanted to touch briefly on, on where we see the e-commerce boom uh, headed. And certainly if there's any other questions, feel free to, uh, to chime in at, at any point here. Um, but we really believe this is just the beginning. And, you know, healthcare historically has followed a delayed path in, in many areas. Um, when I was in my EMS role, uh, part of my responsibility was uh, technology. And we would always see that the technology advances seemed to hit other industries and other applications before it actually came to EMS. Uh, revenue cycle management has, has followed uh, the similar path, scheduling practices, and, and now e-commerce. And you know, we've seen what e-commerce has done uh, over the last 15 years, and it really seems like uh, it's just knocking at the door for, um, for EMS, for air medical, for medical billing, and it's a wide open opportunity. Um, you know, we often say that time is money, and whenever we put this into a practical application, we think, you know, would you rather mail a piece of paper, a paper invoice to a patient and wait for that person to, to open their mail. Uh, they may set that invoice on the kitchen table. They might forget about it. Then you have to send them a 30 day notice. They eventually get the 30 day notice. Remember to pay the bill. They write the check, they send the check back in, or you can just send them a, a notice that says here, go to this secure link and pay your bill. Or better yet, if you have an email address, you send them a secure link and they have the option to pay it right then and there. And um, you know, with the younger generations, we're seeing more and more that, um, you know, cash isn't even something that's carried anymore. Uh, credit cards and debit cards are, are certainly of prevalence and uh, it's the preferred way uh, to make a payment. So um, as we continue to change with the times and provide, uh, you know, better opportunities for our patients to be able to make payments, uh, it certainly seems that uh, online and e-commerce is the way to go. Good stuff. Uh, Jess, I got another one for you. Okay. Keep firing them away. I hope I'm not ruining your rhythm here. <laughs> Um, is there a way you might be able to suggest how to encourage elderly patients to feel comfortable using a credit card? Um, I guess, and again, I'm reading into the question. That's all I got here. But I guess, you know, when uh, whoever it is is asking the question is taking a credit card payment over the phone, sometimes um, folks are reluctant to give that credit card information over the phone. Um, the, she writes in parentheses encryption. So I'm not sure where she's go, where they're going with that, but um, I guess they're just basically saying, is there anything that we can say to make them feel comfortable to use a credit card 
um, to pay a bill, a patient, a medical bill over the phone. Yeah, so I'm actually regretting uh, removing one of the slides that I had, um, but I, I, was, I was going to talk a little bit about the age demographics of um, credit card usage. And it's actually very interesting that, um, you know, the, the younger millennials use credit cards and debit cards, obviously, a, a lot. Uh, the uh, exennial generation, which, you know, are the, the 30s and younger 40s, um, tend to use them a little bit less, but, but still have a high usage. And then there's a drop off with, um, with other generations until you get to the 70 plus. And 70 plus, there seems to be a larger percentage of credit card usage. And um, not sure exactly why. Uh, the, the study was actually done by one of the larger credit card processors. Um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, that 70 plus category had, had a high per, higher percentage of usage than the uh, 50 to 65 range. So um, that, was, that was actually one of the things I was going to bring up just to, for the purpose of conversation, but in the interest of time, I didn't. Um, so I, I think the best thing to do uh, to answer the question is to just to ensure the person that you are entering the information directly into a encrypted and secure payment page. Um, the, the, you know, the credit card number is not being written down. It's not being retained. It won't be saved in any way. Um, and that, uh, you know, that you're following, uh, the, the, the best standards, um, that you can as far as, uh, card security. Um, you know, we often get the question whenever we're talking about some of our different products and, you know, um, how many, uh, senior citizens will actually use the credit card. And it's actually very impressive. Um, We've, we've worked with agencies that have had memberships or donations made by senior citizens from nursing homes. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot more usage than, than most would expect. So, um, again, I would just encourage them to, uh, to go ahead and talk about what security practices they use um, just to provide that extra level of insurance. I'm, I'm surprised by those statistics. I would have never thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually very interesting. And, you know, um, some of the, the uh, discussion that we just had internally was, you know, most seniors are on a fixed income and, you know, it, it just may be a way that, um, you know, they've learned to uh, manage through different aspects of the month. Um, you know, there, there aren't many seniors that have significant credit card debt, but the availability week to week, you know, might be something that, that it helps them out uh, from a credit card standpoint. So plus there was, um, you know, with, with the credit cards really becoming prevalent in the, um, the seventies and eighties, th there was a certain status, you know, of being able to pay with an American express. I mean, those that remember the older commercials, if you had that gold American express card, um, you know, you were viewed it as a person that has really reached a certain level of status. So I, I think it has something to do with that as well. I see a uh, question from Ohio. Uh, what should we look for in a credit card processing company? There's you get your chance to do a commercial here, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll throw up the, uh, the last screen. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you can certainly feel free to, uh, to check out our company, but, um, with any credit card processing company, you want to make sure that they're going to integrate into your operations. And it's something that makes sense, um, for, for the, the flow of data, uh, that connects into, um, your billing company and is able to be a seamless um, relay of information. So, um, you know, we have a great partnership with QuickMed Claims, 
and uh, what's really unique is that uh, an individual EMS agency is able to log into our platform and a QMC biller is able to log into our platform and, and both of them can run payments and they're both secure and encrypted and tokenized and um, they're able to interact with that data in real time. Um, I would also make sure that the provider is following those different levels of PCI compliance. So if they've identified you as a level four um, provider, that they are, they're sending you um, any information you need related to PCI compliance. Um, we handle all of that for uh, our clients. Other providers you know, pass that on and ask you to actually complete uh, the questionnaires and different things like that. But um, I would always ask about level of encryption, um, you know, the latest security standards, um, not to get too technical, but uh, there, there used to be standards called version three SSL and the newest, the latest greatest is TLS 1.3. So if somebody is, you know, developing a website for you with a, a payment portal, uh, you would want to make sure that they're using TLS 1.3, which is the latest and greatest in uh, security standards. Great. Thank you. Uh, finally, a question coming from Pennsylvania, our home state. Um, what are there any credit cards that we as a business, an EMS organization, should avoid accepting? I don't believe so. Um, part of it depends on the, um, the, the pricing structure that you're set up with. So, um, we typically set up clients on a flat rate processing. So we, we assume the risk of high rewards cards. And what I mean by that is um, there, there's different rates that cards are processed at. So a Visa debit card processes at a cheaper rate than a high rewards American Express card. Um, we assume that risk for our clients. Other providers will pass that fee on. So um, if you're in a scenario where that fee is being passed on, I would make sure that you limit your American Express depending on, you know, we often, we, we use the term payer mix whenever we talk about insurance. Uh, you wanna be careful of your card mix whenever we're talking about credit cards. Um, because if you have a high volume of uh, American Express high rewards cards, then your fees are, are likely gonna be much higher uh, than if you have Visa MasterCard American or Visa MasterCard Discover. That's good information. Okay, one more question. Short and sweet. Does Diners Club still exist? That is a great question. <laughs> and uh, actually, I was going to ask you that too, to be honest with you, Jess. Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, I'm actually not sure. My understanding <laughs> is that um, at some point it did grow into other companies. I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now because that is such a great question. Yes, <laughs> they still have a website. Diners Club still exists. Uh, it looks like they, they somehow merged into what is now MasterCard. I see. Um, but Diners Club International still exists. There you go. Well, this is good, great information. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about? I mean, if you would, for our folks who are uh, going to be listening to this presentation via podcast, would you be kind enough to uh, relate your contact information so they can uh, grab it? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you're, you're listening by podcast, uh, thank you very much for uh, listening through the, the talk today. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you being with us. Again, um, I, I'm with eServices Technology, and our website is eServicesTech.com. Uh, all of our information is on the website, and you can, of course, reach us anytime in the office at 412 461 6369. 
And uh, Gary, I just want to thank you again. Uh, this was a lot of fun. And uh, if anybody has any questions offline, uh, we're always available to help out in any way that we can. And uh, we look forward to, uh, to doing something like this again. So thanks a lot. Great. Well, thank you, Jesse. It's been a pleasure having you here. This was a very unique and thought-provoking presentation. Uh, I know I enjoyed it. I'm actually probably going to call you later. I've got a bunch of other questions, but I don't want to keep everybody online here. But uh, thanks for your time. And folks, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you didn't get uh, Jesse's contact information, you can feel free to contact me here at Client Services at quickmedclaims.com. Again, my name is Gary Harvat. I'm the Director of Client Services. Uh, as you heard uh, me mention earlier, uh, we have podcast episodes of, of all our webinars as well as we have about 80, 85 uh, other presentations that are out there for you. You can find us under QMC, Gordon Caller. Uh, we're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, the whole, the whole nine yards. You'll be able to find us very easily. Uh, please subscribe, download our episodes. We keep them relatively short vignettes, so there's a lot of good information, not only on things like uh, unique to the industry, like credit card processing, but also documentation, as well as uh, um, some topics relative to uh, finances and billing. So again, Jesse, thanks for uh, joining us today. Uh, we're so glad that you took part in this uh, presentation. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you so much. And hey, be safe out there. Have a great day, everybody.